Our scripture reading today is Psalm 8, and I get to be rebuked for making fun of you Sunday now. For the director of music, according to Giddeth, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. All, this, all that swim the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Brent Corbin, and I'm uh, yet another intern here at Christ Central Church. Um, I'm actually going to ask if you'd pray with me one more time before we get started this morning. Uh, let's bow in prayer. Uh, King Jesus, we uh, do bow... Uh, not because you are uh, an unruly king who forces us to do so and who, um, who does it because you're mean, but because you're a good, te- a good king and we bow before you because you are worthy of anything and everything that we have. You are worthy of the time this morning that we give to you so that we may study your word together, so that we may hear what you would have to say to us. So please come by your Holy Spirit and fill this time and fill our hearts Walk down the aisles into the seats next to us so that we might know you. We ask this through the powerful name of your your name, King Jesus. Amen. Uh, On occasion here at Christ Central Church, uh, we get to listen to Giorgio talk about his interesting and tenuous relationship with Christian music. And um, I would like to kind of insert myself into this awkward dance, uh, kind of junior high dance, if you will. And... Uh, I'd like to say that one time I was driving down the road and listening to Christian music on the radio. I'm kind of a big radio listener, so I'll, I'll listen to anything. And I'd stopped and listened to this Christian radio station. And there was just one of those songs on that it's just really hard to listen to. Um, the music wasn't great. Uh, the lyrics, you know, they, they were struggling too. And so I changed that. I changed the radio station, probably probably country or some other refined style of music where you never have to worry about lyrics or music. Uh, and, you know, the, I mean, just the lyrics, they didn't rhyme. Uh, and that's, you know, the measure of any good kind of music is lyrics and poetry has to rhyme. Right? Right? Well, uh, and so I changed it. Well, a few days later, maybe one or two, just a few days later, I can't remember exactly when. I feel like this is all over. Um, I was I was reading the Bible and I was in the Psalms and I'm sitting there reading along and I'm thinking, huh, those words sound familiar. I think I've heard those somewhere before. And now I don't know if you've ever been uh, serenaded by uh, the Lord Himself while you're reading the Bible, but I realize that the words that I uh, that I'm reading is the exact song that I had changed the radio station from a few days ago. And now, while I stand to my conviction that the music, the musical aspect of it wasn't great, the words to this song that I had just critiqued and given a one-star review to were actually plain scripture. (laughs) 
And uh, so I admit that I bring some hesitancy in uh, in reading the Psalms, especially when I opened up to Psalm 8, which I was asked to preach this morning, because Psalm 8 was a song that, when I was growing up, uh, was put to some really peppy, kind of sing-song, happy-type music uh, at this church I grew up in uh, in Oklahoma. And I looked at this and I thought, oh my gosh, every <laughs> I'm just going to have to struggle through this because every time I look back at this passage, I started singing it. <laughs> and so I'm going to take a deep breath and say, I'm going to... I'm going to uh, I'm going to resist the temptation to, one, to sing this song here this morning for your sake. Amen. Uh, amen. That is right. And two, I also have to resist the temptation to just dismiss this psalm as a sing-song, pep-happy kind of Christian song that makes Christian music all that it is. Uh, because what I do believe and what I think we'll see this morning is that this psalm has something really profound to us to say about our lives and about the world we live in and about the King who we serve under. And so, I want us to consider this, that when we look at psalms like this, praise psalms, just an outright psalm of praise, that when we read this, and as we go through it, as we're going to look at this morning, that we're thinking, psalms like this that are so high and lofty and bring us to such adoration and praise, they're really hard for us to sing. They're really hard to sing. And there are three things we're going to look at. The first one is this, and it comes in verse 1. Look back down with me if you would. Verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. You have set Your glory above the heavens. And so what I want to suggest this morning is that the first reason that this psalm and psalms like this are hard to sing uh, is that we actually have a hard time singing because uh, about God's ruling over us and God's rule in the world. In the world. And if you're wondering where I get this idea of God ruling, it comes from several of the words in this, uh, in this very verse. Uh, the second word, Lord, there, the one that's not in all caps, um, is actually this, the word Adonai, which connotates uh, the idea of master or a ruler, a powerful ruler who is um, over his subjects, like we would call um, someone who, uh, maybe not we, but in the older days, our Lord. We worked for our Lord and our master. So it's an idea and a, uh, connotes power and majesty. And then the very word majestic itself um, kind of obviously speaks to the power that this Lord, uh, that He has and that He uh, wields among us. And so, uh, as, we, as we sit here and look at this psalm, David, what he's doing is he's drawing, as he remembers this Lord and His rule, he's drawing us back to think about the Lord, the first Lord there, the all-caps one, which is uh, Yahweh, the Lord of Israel, the God of the Bible. It was the personal name that they gave to their lowercase Lord. Yahweh was his name. And so what David's doing is he's drawing us back to Genesis and back to the powerful God who created everything, who by the very word of his mouth and the word of his power, he spoke the mountains into existence and he spoke the valleys and the rivers and everything in the world. And David is saying, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic and powerful is your name in all the earth. But... We're here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, we're not in Genesis 1. We're not with King David as he writes this. We're in Charlotte in 2009. And we have to admit that we find it a little hard to speak of God's name in this way. It is hard for us to sing about God ruling because we're saying, I just don't always see that. 
and were even a little insecure uh, to be out there singing this song about a God who's ruling and reigning in the world right now. Um, because if we're honest with ourselves, if you look back over the last, I don't know, I was thinking five to eight years or so just in our history, uh, there has been some really amazing and terrible things happen uh, in our midst and among us in the world. I mean, things like uh, September 11th and then the, the fallout and the ongoing battle from all that, which um, it's just it's, it's hard and it's awful. We don't want to be in this situation. Uh, things like the tsunami in Asia, which claimed hundreds of thousands of lives instantly almost. Hurricane Katrina, I mean, y'all, it just goes on and on. Just torturings, just things that are really hard to see and to look at and to acknowledge and say, yep, God, you, you're ruling right now. If anything, we're saying, yeah, that God, the God who David's speaking about in this psalm, He is not present right now. He is not present when my husband leaves. He is not present when my kid keeps getting in trouble at school for the seventh, the eighth, the tenth time. God, where are you? Is what we're asking. Why don't you show up right now? We need you here. And so we have a really hard time seeing about God's ruling over us. But for the non-Christians, I'm going to let you in on a little secret of what Christians do in moments like this. We do this really uh, pietistic, spiritual thing where uh, we get up in the mornings and we open our Bibles and we kind of read and we may even um, close our eyes and cross our hands. Uh, we read and we pray and we try to imagine a world where God is actually ruling. And we kind of pep ourselves up enough and we get into a mindset where we say, yep, you know, I've just read these words of the Bible. God, I believe that you're ruling. I believe that you're doing these things. Um, and we kind of get into this altered state of mind, this altered world, uh, because we know that when we, clo- when we open our eyes, when we say amen, close our Bible, and go take a shower, that the reality of the day-to-day life is that, you know, it is hard to believe that God is ruling and reigning for many of us. And so we struggle to sing words like this about God's reigning. Uh, and to help us even more think about this, about uh, why we have trouble with this, I'm going to use this illustration. Um, many of you uh, love HGTV. It's, it's just really hard not to love HGTV. Uh, they talk about what you can do to your house and how to make it better for cheap and how to get ready to sell it. Uh, Matt and Catherine have been watching this, I trust, uh, on how to sell a house. Uh, but what they do, inevitably, on like every show, is that they'll put the, uh, the original picture, the before picture, okay, in the polar, and they'll flash it up on the screen and... Every time it has bad lighting and like the shades are looking frumpy and they're all just messed up. And then, you know, they do their $1,000 complete home makeover uh, that none of us will ever be able to do for $1,000. And they put up the second picture over here and you're just like, wow, that's so great and that's so wonderful. If what we do even uh, in almost uh, without knowing is that our eyes are kind of constantly going back and forth to the original and to the new. And we're trying to trace out and see where the, where the walls used to be or maybe where they still are. And we're looking for shades of the original in the new. And we're doing this. And we do it with um, pictures of, of, of babies and of our kids too. Uh, I've got a 13-week-old and uh, I'm really thankful for digital pictures because otherwise we would have thousands of like prints just hanging around our house. Um, but what we do is we, you know, we take pictures of Norcline and we look at them on the computer and then our parents have given Sarah 
uh, and me pictures of ourselves, and we're kind of, you know, we're looking at us and then we're looking at her, comparing the new to the original and seeing genetics and God's handiwork at its finest as we uh, see ourselves in this new child. And what David does is he tells us that uh, if we're ever going to make sense of our lives and of our uh, the world that we have a hard time believing in that he's ruling, is he says, what you must do is this. You have to look at the picture of Scripture first and then come and bring it into your lives. You have to look at this one first and then take that knowledge and move in to the picture of our lives so that we can see uh, what is right and true. But the reality is, is that we don't do that very well. Uh, we're not uh, really good at doing that because um, for most of us, or some of us in here, um, you see the world through this picture. You see the world, some of you, through um, abuse from your childhood. And that, and that uh, picture, that, that set of glasses colors everything in your life. Absolutely everything. And for others of you, your current um, joblessness and your unemployment for some of you for months now, I know your story, some of you for months now, that current state of just needing others so much has, has so utterly transformed you. to the, That's how you see the world now. I mean, you can't have a conversation with family or friends. You can't be left to your own thoughts without thinking of this. You're seeing the world through those kind of glasses. And for others of us, uh, who have uh, maybe not had those uh, those exact things. Nonetheless, we have our own glasses and we're looking at Scripture and we look at God and we're thinking, where are you? Because that God is not here in my life right now. I know that much to be true. I don't feel Him. I don't see Him. And so songs like this are hard for us to sing. And yet others of us even still, uh, we come um, to this passage and our lives have looked a little easier, maybe even successful in the eyes of the world. And you haven't had some of these big category, kind of life-defining struggles and challenges, uh, but you come with a different set of glasses. You come with a set of glasses uh, called self-righteousness and maybe success and then what you do is you look at the world and you say, you know, I'm, I know I'm not perfect. That's the good Christian religious thing to say is I know I'm not perfect. But at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Right? And so you genuinely feel pretty good about yourself and your disposition and the way things are going. But you, there's another problem coming uh, as you look through the world in these glasses. And it's this. What happens when it does crumble? Okay, what happens when life does come and the suffering does come and the only category you've known is success or ease or the yellow brick road experience? Now, I'm going to talk really hypothetically. What happens when um, you've been saving up for your whole adult working life uh, in something crazy and just completely imaginary like uh, the stock market goes down 40% in six months? I know it could never happen. It's crazy to think about that. But all of a sudden, this kind of goal that you've been working forward to, your financial advisor has been saying, you can live at this, at your current state of life, earning this amount of money for 38 more years after you retire at 60. All of a sudden, you're 59, and that 38 has gotten turned down into 20 years, and you're thinking, well, I can either uh, live till I'm 80, or I'm going to have to keep working some more. 
And those are really all the options you have. And so you're looking uh, for someone to blame. You're looking for something to make sense uh, of the way that you're seeing the world right now. And so you come to this passage and say, God, where are you? Because that God, the God here in Psalm 8, I have a hard time singing about His ruling and being involved in this world right now. And so we struggle to do that. And I'm going to suggest that this psalm calls us to a different way. And I'm not saying this psalm calls us to leave our experience behind, to escape into that, uh, that altered state of mind, because Scripture does not have us do that. It says, bring all of yourself, bring your baggage, your hurt, your struggles, even your sin. Come to it, but let it wash over you. Look at it first. Look at that picture first and see what it says about this picture. See how Scripture would inform us to see the world rightly because it gives us a different set of glasses. Okay? And it calls us to say that even though, uh, even though you're struggling and even though things don't appear to be together, that God is ruling and that He is reigning and that He is a good Lord and that He's a good King, as we'll see in a minute. But not only is it hard for us to sing about God's ruling in this world right now, it's equally, if not harder, for us to sing about God working through us in this world. Look back down at verse 2 with me. He says, And out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now, uh, if you read that and you have no idea what it means, uh, you're in good company because I actually planned on skipping this verse uh, when I talked this morning. I didn't know what it meant. And uh, you can't talk about everything whenever you preach. And so uh, I was very much planning on just kind of going past it on to verse 3. Uh, and then I was really troubled when I read uh, one commentator, one scholar uh, whose name happens to be Jesus. Um, <laughs> in Matthew, he talks about this verse. And so I figured I should probably talk about it. It's always a good uh, idea when Jesus gives you commentary on the Old Testament. You want to pay attention. So uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 21. He is headed to the temple. Uh, he's going to die, actually. He's already told his friends and the disciples this. Listen, I've got to die. I've got to do this. Um, it is so that you might be redeemed and all these things. Uh, but Jesus makes a little uh, pit stop in the temple uh, where people are supposed to be worshiping, worshiping him. Uh, and he says this, Matthew 21. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes uh, saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David! The chief priests and scribes were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies... You have prepared praise. And so in Psalm 8, what David is doing, and then in Matthew 21, what Jesus is doing, the picture that he's setting up, is that the seemingly weakest parts of creation, the babies, the infants, the youth Sundays, sorry TJ, uh, what we think should be powerless uh, to get anything done. Babies are so needy, I have found out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the things that we could never uh, expect to accomplish means through God says, no, this is exactly what I'm going to use to accomplish the purposes of my kingdom. I'm going to use the weak, the troubled, the lame, the crippled, 
all of the things which we would never imagine. You and I would never do it this way. It's absolutely upside down. It's backwards. It's ironic. It, for Alanis Morissette, it's rain on the wedding day. It's the free ride when you've already paid. It's truly the good advice that we never did take. So what does a king, a mighty King David, powerful David slays his tens of thousands as the songs sing about him. What does a powerful King David have any idea? How does, what does he know at all about God working through weakness? Uh, you might know, whether Christian or non-Christian, uh, you might know the song about a little boy, a teenager uh, named David. <laughs> uh, and how uh, the Israelites were losing his battle and there was this uh, guy named Goliath who was a giant. He was literally a giant. Uh, great in battle, uh, well adorned from his accomplishments. And this little boy named David goes out uh, and we can imagine David as any teenager uh, not being a real stud of a guy, you know, weighing maybe 150 pounds in his uh, wet ox pants or whatever they wore back then. Uh, he goes out into the Valley of Eli uh, with five smooth stones. And I, that just connotes to me that's like even weaker. Like he's not like jagged rocks. He's got like little stones, you know, that have been washed over for thousands of years. And he goes out and slays this battle giant with five stones, through utter weakness. Friends, David knows, as he writes this psalm, David knows this is exactly how God works. That yes, through the infants and babes and through what seems weakest, that is the way God works. But y'all, that is hard for us to believe. And that is hard for us to sing about. Um, because as we come with our experience and with our broken lives, and through our weakness... And through our struggles with sin, um, we have a hard time singing about that. And I've got to tell you that if you're ever going to be comfortable with Christianity, this may be a shock to some of you, but if you're ever going to come to embrace the Christianity of the Bible, you have to embrace this. That what appears weak in our eyes is often strong, if not always strong, in God's eyes. And what appears strong in our eyes as we peruse the world and as we have our glasses and look out on the world, what we aspire to, to be strong, I want to be like him or like her. I want to be strong. But what we think to be strong, God often sees as weak. And so, as it is, uh, Wednesday, last Wednesday night, uh, Matt and Catherine Howell are leaving, and our community group got together. Uh, they've been a part of uh, the small group here at church that, I, that I'm with, and um, we got together and said our goodbyes to them. And these things are awful for me. Uh, I just cry the whole time, and that's just the way it is. But, um, so we got together to tell them what we, what we love about them, what we uh, like about them, how they've ministered to us and reminded us of the gospel again and again. And one particular uh, girl was talking to Catherine and said, you know, we've both been through a lot over these last few years, and at different times we've been weak, uh, I've been weak, and you've been weak. But, you know, seemingly when I was weak, you were strong and you helped me and we lifted each other out. Kind of this back and forth picture of them reminding each other of the gospel. And that God works when we're weak. And He, he brings strength along to help us when we're weak. And so out of each other's weakness, they could minister to each other. And for those of you who have ever helped friends, it's often out of our weakness in the ways that we've messed up. That we can look and say, listen, I've been there. I know exactly what you're going through. 
And they call us back to Scripture. And they call us back to believe the Gospel. That Jesus truly does care for us when we're weak. And that Jesus truly can work through us when we're weak. And now, if you've been skeptical of Christianity for this reason, because maybe the Christianity you've seen or believed or been exposed to, maybe it's the kind on TV where there's not a lot of weakness shown, or maybe it's even uh, some type of family Christianity where it's been passed down and you've just kind of been expected to believe it and to go home and put on your country club iron shirt and to go out and go to church because that's what you're supposed to do and there's not much hint of weakness in that. I know there's many of us who have come from that. I just want to tell you that you've actually not encountered the Christianity of the Bible. Because Paul says to consider your calling. Consider your uh, what God has done in you. Brothers, not many of you were wise according to the world. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And that's hard because we don't feel that often. But I want to encourage you as we read it from Scripture, as you look at this picture that God says, in your weakness, absolutely, I can work in you and I can work through you. King David, uh, who knew personally of God's weakness, like us when we get to bed at night and we peel off our facade of strength that we've had to put on for the world and for our jobs and even for our family. When we get in bed and we peel that off at night and we're left only to our thoughts and our, uh, the musings of our own mind, what we're thinking is, God, <laughs> work through me. Why would you even want me? I'm not even worried about what you can do through me. God, I, I struggle to believe if you would even want me to be part of your kingdom. What happens is that David actually asks these same questions. He sees his weakness, and in verse 3, he looks up at night and says this, When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Friends, David looks up to the utter majesty and power of creation. The stars and the galaxies and the utter just transcendence of what God has made. And then he looks inside and says, Wow, God, why would you... Who am I that you would want me? Who am I that you could ever do anything through me? God, why even why even waste your time... Uh, Spend your time caring for us. We're so needy. You can't accomplish anything through us. We're so needy. We're so weak. You have everything. You have storms. You have waterfalls. You have universes and galaxies that you could absolutely come down and display your power through in an instant. Yet, the way that God works is that He is patient to work through broken and needy vessels like you and me. And that He spends His time and His heart caring for us. And that is, that's what has David saying, who am I that you would care for me? And yet, if we stop there only with our struggle of how hard it is to sing about God's working through us, we'd only be getting part of the picture. Because what David says, and even actually literally what he says, beginning in verse 4, is yet. 
And so he leaves us waiting. And he says this in 5 through 8. He says, Yet you have made him, man, little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the seas. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Now this is strange because we've just been led to this point of wondering how God could work through us in our weakness and brokenness, and yet David comes and puts right in front of our face what is hardest, if not impossible, for us to believe at times, and it is this, that God delights in us. And that is really hard for us to sing about. Really hard. Having just considered our own weakness and frailty, especially in comparison with the rest of creations, especially when we let our minds think about the powerful things in this world that God could use. We're sitting here wondering, God, why, why me? But David reminds us. He says, take a picture. Take the picture of Genesis 1, the earliest picture, and remember what God says about you. And that's exactly what He does. These verses or like a paraphrase of Genesis 1, when God created man. And God gave man dominion over everything. said, it is all yours. And the, the verse here actually says, you know, you have made him uh, a little lower than the angels. That actually, what it's saying is, you have made man just a little below God. You have made man at the pinnacle of all the physical earth, just below the heavenly realm. Man is at the creation. He is at the, the pinnacle of God's creation. And David is... Uh, his mind is flooded with this thought right after he considers his weakness. And so uh, what we are, what Genesis tells us about ourselves and what David is reminding us is that as man, as the pinnacle of his creation, we are like, um, we're like vice kings to the king. Okay? God, and that's not a, that's not a, um, a uh, debilitating or subservient, I mean just a humiliating role at all. That is an extremely dignifying role. It's what any good um, CEO or any good ruler does is that he puts his best people up close to him. Okay, and God's not threatened by us. He's not worrying that we're going to like, whoop, gotcha, uh, take over his job one day. Um, he's, he's confident in himself. He knows uh, he created us. He's given us limitations. Um, but yet he has put us at the top of this and given us extreme dignity. He put us throughout the world and says, y'all are going to be the ones through whom my kingdom grows through. He said, I'm going to use you, weak yet dignified. Okay? But what's hard is that that Genesis 1 creation where we have dominion and where we're supposed to go out and multiply and spread the kingdom, all of those things, what's hard for us is that uh, we kind of... Genesis 3 happened. The fall. uh, Mankind sinned. And so all of a sudden... Um, the dominion and the working and the ruling creation, that's not easy for us. You know that. I know that. Working is not easy. It's not always fun. That's no surprise. Uh, if you even have a job, let's be honest. It is hard to even find a job. And if you've got one, your company's probably laid off half its people, so you're working twice as much for the same amount of pay. And it's hard. Working is hard. Dominion is hard. And the childbearing part, whoa. <laughs> uh, 
It's hard. Um, I'm actually trying to rule, uh, rig the deal to where um, Norcline spends considerably more uh, more time with Sarah than me because uh, if she learns too much from me, then I may actually have to parent her through some of the stuff that my parents had to parent me through, and that will be hard for me. Uh, that will be hard. It will not be good for Sarah uh, or me or Norcline for her sake. Childbearing, working, dominion is is hard because of the fall. And not to mention the other sin that we struggle with. That each day uh, that we're having to deal with, the things that we've done and the things that uh, have been done to us. And so we do have a hard time looking at this passage and thinking that God delights in us. God, how could you delight in me? I'm sinful, I'm fallen, I'm broken. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story, something that I did recently that makes it hard for me to believe that God delights in me. Uh, and I have to put so many caveats on this, it's not funny. Um, playing poker is not always illegal. It's not always wrong. Playing cards is not always wrong. Uh, in North Carolina, the laws are incredibly vague. There's all sorts of stuff. So if you have, if you have any questions about it, talk to Giorgio. Um, <laughs> just, here's that grenade. Um, but, but one time, I had a friend who invited me to play poker at his house. And I was excited about it. Sarah and Norcon were out of town. And uh, so I was, that was all in. I was going to go play. And uh, a couple of days before I started looking online, I was like, I wonder if this is legal to do in North Carolina. And so I looked on the Internet and went to, you, you know, I went to a lot of different sites uh, to make sure that I uh, covered my bases. But they all say the same thing. Uh, what I was wanting to go do was illegal. And so uh, non-Christians, here's another little insight into Christians' lives. Um, I put that little thought, you know, that little thought, from eight different websites, I put it way down into the corner of my heart and closed this little door and kind of locked it and threw away the key so that I would never remember that, right? And that it would never come back up. I'd never have to actually deal with it. And I went and played poker that night, um, you know, just knowing that thought would never be there again. And uh, I woke up the next morning, and guess what? The only thing I could think about was that little thought. That key came and just, like, flew back in there and locked it, and there it was. And... Um, I realized that I hadn't uh, gone out and done some terrible thing against others and the, the repercussions of me playing poker were not significant even. Uh, but what I did is I knowingly, um, willfully disobeyed the law of the land which Scripture calls us to follow unless it is contrary to Scripture. And so I had to deal with this thought of, wow, I certainly don't feel like God is happy with me right now. Uh, God couldn't be delighting in me. How could you come and sing verse 9? How could I sing verse 9 after what you did last night? When you're constantly listening to the whispers of doubt in your mind about God's delighting in you, how are you ever going to be able to sing about a Lord who is majestic and who is Reigning and ruling, and we're supposed to have smiles on, right? But how can we ever do that when our lives speak so much to the contrary and our experience take us in such a different way? And I'd actually like to ask you a question in closing. What would it take for you to be able to sing to God? What would have to happen in your life today, right now, tomorrow, for you to be able to sing? Verse 9 with David. For you to be able to open up to Song 8 and to actually not have to escape to another world, 
to actually be able to bring yourself in and sing, what would have to happen for you to be able to do that? And what I want to suggest is that the, the Alanis Morissette irony of all ironies is this. Is that Scripture gives us a picture of one who 2,000 years ago um, came and actually claimed to be king. He claimed to be the first Lord in this verse with all caps, Yahweh. Uh, and people wanted to kill him. And actually, when they were doing so, they hung, they hung this little mocking sign above his, set, above his head that said, King of the Jews. In just utter mockingness, with no reverence, with no seriousness at all. They're like, yeah, here's your king, hanging, bloody, skin falling off. He's pretty strong, right? He's the king. He's ruling. And they put a crown on his head. Ooh. Not gold, not silver, nothing majestic about it. Because this man claimed to be the Lord that David talks about here in Psalm 8, in which all of the Old Testament talks about. This man, Jesus, said, yeah, that's me. Sorry. I knew you were expecting like the big guy with uh, huge muscles, just big stud, going to come out and conquer it. But Jesus says, no, that's me, and I've got to die. The author to Hebrews, um, a book in the New Testament, uh, in the second chapter, is saying that Jesus and I, He's the man that we couldn't be. And so that if we're sitting here having trouble reading through this psalm and the tensions of uh, wondering how this could be talking about us with glory and honor, on our being crowned with glory and honor, and we struggle with that. What the author of Hebrews says is, no, that's actually kind of talking about you, but it's actually also talking about Jesus. That He was the one who received all glory and honor on His head. And that He comes out of His temptation time with Satan. And Mark 1 tells us, Jesus comes out of being tempted with Satan in the wilderness, and He says this, I have got good news for you. Oh, really? Jesus, what is it? The kingdom of God is at hand. What you didn't do with Satan is, is beat him. What you did is you gave in. But what I have done is I have conquered Satan. Death will have no rule over me. Though I will die, it will not keep me dead. Death will not keep me dead. And so what the writer to Hebrews is saying is that we don't see everything yet. Everything is not in subjection under Him yet. But the good news about this for us today is that there is a man named Jesus who offers us a place in His kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand, He said. Would you come be a part of the kingdom? Because what He does is He takes our lives of apparent weakness and often actual weakness and struggles, a place where you can bring your skepticism and your failure. And He comes and He dresses a seat for you in His kingdom. He gives you a robe ready to, to put it on you and to call you a son. And for some of us, for the first time, and for others, for the 10,000th time, He comes to you and He offers you a new voice so that you with David could come and sing verse 9. How could you ever do that? It's because there is a man who did what you couldn't do and who gives you words to say and offers you a place in the new humanity, part of the new man 
who did what we couldn't, who died for your sin. And He offers you a new verse, a new voice to sing verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Could you sing that through Christ? I hope that you could. I hope that you will. Let's pray. King Jesus, You are majestic. How powerful and how good is Your rule. You are the good King. By Your Holy Spirit, would You come and make us willing and humble subjects who would see the joy in bowing to Your kingship and Your rule. Please use this time, Your Word, uh, to that end. We pray it with confidence because we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.